0: Just go to Indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: I want to tell you a little bit about the fine folks at ExpressVPN who have helped us out dramatically in terms of running this channel. What do I mean by that? Well, if you've used the NFL's American Game Pass, you've probably found that there's limited access to all 22, and also no live access to games. That's actually very different from the International Game Pass plan, which has both full all 22 footage and full access to games. So, I'm international, going to school, and Tyler and Steven are back in the United States, still finagling with that Game Pass to try to get the footage that they need to do the breakdowns on the channel. So I said, well... What if I get Game Pass internationally and then you guys can use a VPN? Uh, And after that discussion, ExpressVPN actually came and said, hey, we want to partner with you guys. So that's been awesome to deal with them. Uh, They have been great for the show and have helped us pump out these breakdowns that we know you guys have been watching on the channel. And of course, uh, when we talk about ExpressVPN, their uses go far outside of football. There's plenty of shows on Netflix in America that aren't available elsewhere and vice versa because, well, maybe that one's on HBO Max and maybe that one's on Hulu. So there's plenty of uses for ExpressVPN to get regionally-based uh, exclusive internet content. And so we wanna let you go to ExpressVPN and explore yourself. So that's why if you go to expressvpn.com slash guilty, again, that's expressvpn.com guilty, you can get a three-month free trial on us so that's our promise to you and we know that you're gonna love expressvpn just as much as we have if you're football fanatics like us so if you want to see that really pretty justin herbert pass that you saw live on cbs that week again but you want to see it in that beautiful all 22 and plenty of different camera angles you can again go to expressvpn.com guilty to start your three-month free trial today
2: hey what is up everybody welcome inside the guilty as charged podcast my name is steven i am your host as always and joining me today are my guys tyler and alex tyler we'll start with you how are you doing today
3: i'm doing very well i had to clear out my nose so i bought this thing that looks like it has like a little wiener (laughs) on the end of it i shot it through my nose it was an awful experience but at least my nose is clear so it worked it worked it just looks really weird so uh at
2: least i'm glad it worked um alex how are you doing man yeah i'm
4: good what is it with you and introducing this show talking about wieners all the goddamn time
3: <laughs> i do know do you want to see my wiener
4: i've i've seen galadriel but yeah
2: <laughs> shout out to galadriel i hope she's doing okay i uh this is the first time I've talked to Tyler, so you know, the the other day I was I was messaging him talking about film and watching tape and stuff like that, and I just was like out of curiosity, like, "Hey, uh, do you want, do you listen to anything while you watch film?" and <laughs> And he sent me a link to a, a fifteen minute clip, a YouTube clip of Lord of the Rings music. Uh, so when Tyler says he likes Lord of the Rings, he really likes Lord of the Rings.
3: Hey man, that there's great scores there there's all sorts of things you can dip into the shire for a bit go to rivendell for a bit you can charge into battle the bridge of kazah and fight the balrog and all that stuff uh it gets me through that's not the only thing that i listen to i do listen to things with words sometimes but yeah lord of the rings music can carry you through for sure (laughs)
4: i'll just pretend that i understood any of what he just said
3: yeah i yeah i'm
2: not really sure either um (laughs) Okay, I'm logging off then. <laughs> I generally listen to, you know, instrumental music and listen to podcasts and stuff like that. So I've got a good little uh, playlist from back my from my college days that I listened to, to, uh, you know, study music, so to speak. So um, anyway, so that's that's another here or there. Um, so we have a, a fun show planned for you guys today. We're going to talk about the uh, Chargers offensive line coach situation. Uh, do some updates on the coaching staff and we're also going to talk about Super Bowl 56 the Super Bowl that just happened Um, that Super Bowl parade was kind of sad uh, but we'll we'll talk about some lessons and things to take away from uh, the Rams and Bengals perspective and how it can kind of relate to uh, where the Chargers are at so first and foremost the coaching hire uh, or coaching search I should say is uh, it's happening again. So the Chargers are losing Frank Smith to the Dolphins. He is going to be their offensive coordinator. Uh, unfortunately, a hire that I think makes a lot of sense for them. Um, of course, we, we figured that Frank Smith was not going to be here for long, but uh, I don't think we really expected it to be this quick uh, of a trip to Los Angeles. So Alex, your uh, initial takeaways from the Chargers losing Frank Smith as their offensive line coach. Alex is frozen, so... No, I think he's back. Alex, you back? Yeah, I'm back. Okay, so uh, your initial takeaways from uh, the Chargers losing Frank Smith to Miami.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, I I think it's a big deal when you kind of look at uh, what the Chargers are are going through here. Obviously, there's like a talent argument to be made that, well, you know, they have Rashawn Slater, and they have Corey Lindsley, and they have Matt Pyler, so they'll be fine right but um what frank smith brought to this offensive line in year one was the greatest offensive line improvement we've seen really from this team in over a decade um that's not putting selling it you know short in any way uh so plus you know he's already connected to not just the offensive line but was one of the main reasons that jared cook came here right uh now jared cook's a free agent and also has some connections In the tight end room obviously controlled some of the run games so his influence wasn't just on the offensive line but really um all throughout the offense um so i think that's going to be interesting to see how the chargers do end up replacing him obviously we have heard about the rumors of uh, nugent who could end up being offensive coordinator or the offensive line coach but um i i do think it is a pretty sizable loss for the chargers here it's someone that i would have liked to kept at least for another year yeah. Um, with all these guys on the offensive line, especially if they were to kind of fix right tackle and right guard, uh, so to speak, going into next year. Um, didn't happen. Uh, I'm kind of happy that he did get a promotion in Miami. I mean, that's sure. a great uh, success for him. And uh, I hope he's uh, he does well on the Mike McDaniel coaching staff. But it is a big
2: loss for the Chargers. But I do think
4: because of the talent they have, it, it is replaceable. But it is a bummer to lose him after just one year.
2: Yeah, it is. It is a real bummer. And, you know, he's not going to call plays in Miami. Um, I would imagine Mike McDaniel does that. He's Mm -hmm. he's never done had the opportunity to do that uh, because he's worked with Kyle Shanahan for his entire career. So um, that's going to be a really interesting dynamic there. You know, Frank Smith essentially um, feels like he would essentially be, you know, like an associate head coach kind of role where he's not going to be working with the offensive line primarily. But that's why you're hiring Frank Smith, right? Because the Chargers or excuse me, the dolphins are in a similar situation as the Chargers were in 2020, where you're gonna to have to revamp your offensive line and you're going to have to develop, you know, the pieces that you have because they, unlike the Chargers situation in 2020, they've got a lot of premium draft picks on that roster. Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, Liam Eichenberg, all guys that they drafted with top 50 picks and guys who have been moving around and there's been no continuity, there's been no development. So uh, he's essentially like the highest paid offensive line coach in the league. And, uh, you know, Alex mentioned his, his work as a, as a tight ends coach, you know, obviously working in Vegas and, uh, Chicago as a tight ends coach working with, uh, some really young pieces that he helped develop. So, I mean, that's a great hire hire Miami. It sucks for the chargers because he was such a good coach in just a year. Um, you know, from a schematic standpoint. Like, I, I've said this a bunch of times, but, you know, I would turn on the tape and I would see, a, generally speaking, a very well thought out protection plan each week against the various opponents uh, that the Chargers came up against, which was a huge, huge upgrade over what happened previously. So, uh, I'm you know, I'm curious to see what becomes of Sean Surratt, the assistant offensive line coach, but, you know, in a vacuum, losing Frank Smith is a big, big deal, in my opinion.
3: It is. Congratulations to the Dolphins for getting this. As soon as we heard that he was going to be interviewed, it's like, oh, yeah. geez, there's no way he's leaving. And the, the they need it. They need it badly. Their picks have turned out awful on the offensive line. They really don't have a run game. And they're potentially going to keep Kaseki And so just working with the tight ends, working in the run game, working at the offensive line, all that. Dolphins need that in a bad way to prove that, that, that Tua pick. I mean, they can Brian Flores, partially because they need to prove that Tua pick is the right pick, and they're behind that pick. And this is a good way to go, getting McDaniel, putting Frank Smith with him. I wish the Chargers would have been able to keep him. I do think Joe Lombardi is gone next season. So having Frank Smith be the offensive coordinator potentially and just having Sean Serrett step up to O-line coach, I think that would have been great. Of course, now Frank Smith is gone. So yeah, I I do think it's a significant loss. Gilbert Manzano has mentioned the, the name that we'll talk about in a second as a potential replacement for him. I didn't know Gilbert had a source somewhere. So congratulations for breaking that. That's awesome. Um, But yes, it it is a big loss and we'll see what they do to replace him. There are many guys, it seems out there from good lines and looks like they're starting in a good spot.
2: Yeah. You know, I've seen some people say like, oh, like, so the name that Tyler is talking about is, is obviously Brendan Nugent. He used to be the saints offensive line coach. He actually replaced uh, Frank Smith in new Orleans once new Orleans left or once Frank left for Chicago um so schematically there will be a lot of overlap right because he's so familiar with the saints and the saints offense and the west coast system um but I, i've seen some people say like oh like the chargers will have better talent and like you know the charge offensive line isn't going to take a big step back because you know presumably they'll fix the right tackle situation but losing your offensive line coach is a big deal regardless of how good your talent is or isn't you know when mike munchak you know, of course, Mike Munchak is arguably one of the best offensive line coaches in the league. Um, But when he left Pittsburgh for Denver, Pittsburgh felt really, really good about their situation because of the talent they had on the roster. And there were some growing pains, you know, and you never really know what a new voice in a room does to a position group. So I think having Sean Surratt there, you know, for now, at least as far as we know, is going to help keep things kind of you know, as continuing as, as possible, but you just never really know like what a new voice is going to do to a room. So I think the Chargers offensive line will be in a better situation talent wise, but it's, it's hard for me to sit here and be like, yeah, like they're going to be fine from a protection standpoint because, you know, Frank Smith is, is leaving. So it's a big loss. I think Frank is a really, really smart coach. I don't know exactly like how his hands are, where where his hands are tied into in terms of player development, but like Trey Pipkins came in for a game and it was fine. You know Storm Norton had some rough moments, but for the most part, like he played really well. You onboard Michael Schofield in the middle of the season, and Schofield was better this time around than he was in 2018 on the Charter. So I think Frank Smith did a really really good job with this unit, and it sucks that we are losing him so quickly. But I obviously think he is very well deserving.
4: Sorry to uh, future Chargers offensive line coach Brendan Nugent for calling you Mike Nugent earlier in the show, former Bengal <laughs> kicker. kicker. Yeah.
2: Well, yeah. It's um, like, hmm? Did we lose Alex there for a
3: second, or is that just me? No, no he's looking I'm like go uh, the Japanese films that I watch where he, he'll he speak and then the audio will kind of be off a little bit. Okay. Uh, so it's all good. <laughs> Godzilla.
2: <That> is- <laughs> yeah, I mean, as Nolan points out, you know, the protection plans were obviously not – perfect but i mean you're gonna pass the ball 72 times against the raiders like of course you're gonna have issues so Mm. um let's talk about brendan nugent you know this is obviously the only name that we have heard so far Uh, Mm. you know i mentioned his uh status as former saints offensive line coach i was pretty surprised that dennis allen the new saints head coach is shaking that coaching staff up as Mm. much as he is he's Mm -hmm. also interviewing michael wilhoit for the defensive coordinator position which he is leaving vacant um, but I, I, think this is as good as a situation as possible. Like I mentioned, it's going to keep things, you know, a, a, as you know, keep that continuity as, as much as possible with the schematics of things like that. Um, but I mean, it, the offensive line didn't exactly do great this year in new Orleans. Of course they had some injuries Teron Armstead, and Ryan around missed a lot of time. Uh, but Tyler, what do you make of Brendan Nugent potentially, uh, replacing Frank Smith?
3: Sounds good to me. I, I think him coming from the Saints system, I should have predicted, like we all should have just assumed that they would poach <laughs> another Saints coach. I guess we didn't see it coming. Uh 2020, obviously run game coordinator assistant offensive line coach and the the, the offensive line coach in 2021. So just, you know, fusion them together for his role. I do think, you know, in, in 2020, 2021 was kind of a, a wash because Toron Armstead played eight games, Ramchek played 10 games, McCoy played 12 games. They also had a kind of useless quarterback situation. So I don't judge them as much on that year. But, you know, in 2020, I'm curious what they'll do with the RB2 situation. I know he has, assuming he is the run game coordinator as well, which I would assume he is. I'm curious what they'll do with that RB2 situation behind Austin Eckler. One, because we know Eckler has wanted an RB2 behind him to really step up. And obviously Justin Jackson is gone. And the other RB72s behind him aren't very good. (laughs) But in 2020, you have Kamara taking 56% of the snaps and Murray taking the other 44%. I know he has no real say in personnel decisions, but I'm hoping that they bring in a true RB2 so they can get back to that split when he was the run game coordinator with the Saints, where they have not quite 50-50, but a really, really close 50-50 split between the RB1 and the RB2 when it comes to rushing touches, because I think that's the best way to go. And again, Austin Eckler has been demanding somebody step up. And I think they're going to have to find someone that can do that. Do I think it's 42 year old Latavius Murray? No, but I think they can find (laughs) somebody somewhere to, to fill that role. And hopefully they do transition towards that because they're going to need somebody else behind him.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think if we're talking about, you know, uh, just how the saints did on the offensive line in general, I feel like it's a little bit clouded by their quarterback situation. Right. I mean, obviously the fact they had someone else different playing quarterback pretty much uh, every game, Um, That was a weird situation for them with Winston and then Hill and then Simeon. So, I mean, I can't imagine that was easy for the offensive line uh, going through that in 2021, in addition to some of the other stuff. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I think if they were to get like a legit RB2, like the Saints have, like Tyler said, I don't think it'll be Latavius Murray. Um, But I do think that would be, you know, a great influence potentially. Maybe some of the other guys um, that were, you know, behind Kamara in that same system as well. I'm not sure what they'll do with someone like Tony Jones uh, or somebody like that. Uh, but there's always, you know, the chance to go get someone in free agency or the draft. So uh, <laughs> hopefully not the draft because that hasn't worked out the last couple of times. <laughs> uh, but, you yeah, know, I, I think an influence to try to get uh, another running back in there would, would help out a lot.
2: I mean, they have 11 picks. Like I'm not opposed to, you know, them using one of those later round picks on another running back. I think there's no harm in you know shooting your shot again. Uh you know, I just got off the of an interview with uh Brentley Weissman of the Draft Network, and he brought up a couple names actually that could really compliment him. Of course, we've kind of talked about um free agency as an avenue for the Chargers to improve that position, but they absolutely have to because there's 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 just no way that Austin Eckler goes for 1520 again next year. Like they like he's going to regress somewhat And he battled a a small injury this year. But, you know, if the Chargers lose Eckler again next year, like they did in 2020, then the running back room is tanked. So they absolutely have to do it. Of course, they need depth across the roster. But um, I think solving running back gives them, obviously, more options in the passing game, allows Eckler to do more as a receiver. So I expect them to address the position at some point. I just don't know if it's going to be an expensive free agent. Uh, it's not going to be an expensive free agent. It might be a lower level signing free agent and then kind of a draft pick. But, um, you know, just kind of going through Nugent's background, I think it's really interesting because he was actually a defensive player in college and hmm. that was his first uh, job coaching was as a linebackers coach at in high school in Archbishop Stepenyak in in New York and then he went to. Uh, Iowa where he was an offensive assistant coach and William Mary where he coached tight ends receivers tight ends again running backs and then uh, working in the CFL he was offensive quality control coach and special teams assistant and then with the Bears he was offensive quality control coach and then he's been working with the offensive line and tight ends in New Orleans since 2015 so I mean this really fits what Brandon Staley has kind of tried to find in his coaches is, is that guys who can fill different roles who can wear different hats on the team who are have experience in a different kind of in a variety of different realms if you will and you know this is no different i think nugent's experience as a defensive player obviously influences him and he's really coached every position on offense outside of quarterback so um i mean, I mean on paper this seems like it's going to be a solid hire if it is him we don't really know gilbert monzano that's the only name that we've heard um, but on paper, this seems like it, this is the right decision, at least.
3: Yeah, seems like the right decision. Like you said, going after guys with multi-backgrounds. I believe Jay Rogers was an offensive guy as well. I want to say yeah. tight ends or something. Um, obviously Frank Smith, not different sides of the ball, but different positions. We have Ficken, who was a wide receiver's running backs assistant coach. Now he's a special teams coach. Brandon Staley's that former you know quarterback, now defensive coordinator, slash head coach. So yeah, all over the roster. What listen, as long as one of them can be a good stop the run coach i'm, I'm cool with that <laughs> yeah
4: um i mean as far as the running backs if you're gonna take one in the draft you're gonna take one in free agency um make sure he runs faster than like a 4 9 please
2: 4 nine forty. yeah i mean to be fair joshua kelly was like a 4 5 guy but uh the problem with kelly is not his lack of athleticism it's his uh lack of vision which is always uh not great so um, I, I mentioned the situation with Michael Wilhoy briefly. He has interviewed for the defensive coordinator. Congratulations um, in New Orleans. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, sorry guys for, uh, for leaving you so soon. Um, you know, shout out to uh, Brett for that <laughs> that graphic, which will always make me laugh. But uh, Michael Wilhoy obviously came from New Orleans. He's very familiar with that coaching staff. He's worked with uh, Dennis Allen for quite some time. And I I don't know if he's going to get that position, but I think this is, you know, kind of symbolic of where he is at in his coaching career, kind of a similar path to uh, D'Amico Ryan's in San Francisco. So I would expect Mm -hmm. Will Hoyt to be a defensive coordinator, you know, in the next year or two, I don't think he'll get it this year. It kind of seems like that's going to be Chris Richard or Mm -hmm. uh, I forget the other name that I sent today that uh, Jeremy Fowler was, was talking about. So it seems like the Saints have some really good in-house options, but uh, I mean, Michael Wilhoit. I think it's about a year away from taking it, taking an upgrade job. But it, it, listen, it's great for him, really good experience for him to be able to have this interview. Um, but I, I kind of feel like this is also like Kevin Coger, uh, maybe a year too soon for me.
3: Yeah, the guy you mentioned was the assistant head coach, defensive line coach, Ryan Nielsen. That's the other Thank guy you. who can't get it. So yeah, uh, those seem like. Better options at this mm-hmm. point for the Saints. But yeah, Will Hoyt will leave at some point, I would assume. Uh, I, I hope he doesn't leave this year. I know it was very upsetting Steven to hear me say that that's another reason Kaiser White does not return, because it's just another reason Kaiser White does not return it if Will Hoyt's not yeah. back. So um, but yeah, he he's done a pretty good job. It's a very up and down sort of year right. where Drew Trenkel was great in the first half, really fell off after the injury in the bye. Kenneth Murray completely did a 180 from his rookie season Kaiser White took that big step forward you know Nick Neiman we thought was great but he couldn't get on the field really Eamon Ogbogamiga was kind of a hit or miss so I think there's enough good things there to say that yes I'm I'm happy that he's staying if he does stay but if he goes good for him I get it I think he's earned the right to get a promotion
4: yeah I felt like I saw a lot of people talking about you know uh, well Kenneth Murray wasn't good so therefore that that means Will Hoyt's not good but I mean obviously we saw what he did uh, with Kaiser White this year, uh, with Drew Triangle earlier in the season prior to getting injured, and obviously Tyler's guy uh, Nick Miaman and how he developed as a special teams player this year, <laughs> um, and you know when he was able to get on the field, he was all right. Uh, so you know for me, there was enough positive development there to suggest uh, that Will Hoyt is ultimately a good coach, uh, and that's kind of why the Saints want him, um, just like why the Dolphins want Frank Smith, um, in a sense. So uh, I would be sad to see him go, uh, but you know this is the NFL going to keep going like this uh, it's not going to get any easier next year when joe lombardi probably gets hired somewhere uh and they probably have to find a new offensive coordinator that's off season uh, so you know just how the business goes
2: yeah i mean you look at what the rams have gone through over you know mm-hmm. the last four years and it's like every single year they're finding a new quarterbacks coach a new coordinator new whatever so yeah um you know this is the nature of the beast and i think if the chargers have the season uh in 2022 that i think they are capable of then you know there might be a bit of a, a bit of an exodus from the coaching staff in terms of getting promotion so yeah um tyler any final thoughts here and then alex on the uh coaching staff changes
3: more of a question do you guys recall with either the two previous regimes with mccoy and lynn do you recall an exodus of coaches or pre- you know predicted projected exodus of coaches like this with either of those regimes it seems like the chargers are already getting more interviews than i can recall just in their first season and then yeah next season Three or four guys are probably gone.
2: Yeah, I mean, um, there was when Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni left to uh, Philadelphia or, or Indy or wherever they linked up. But I, I I don't remember Anthony Lynn's staff getting poached, like, at all. Um, I struggle to even remember, like, a, a couple of coaches here or there.
3: Yeah, I think Reich and Sirianni were fired, or at least Reich was. And then he just went and joined Peterson, Alex.
4: Yeah, I, I believe that's correct. I don't think any of them were, like, poached
3: um, in that sense. Uh,
4: can't really remember anybody. I mean, obviously, like, the Raiders poached Gus Bradley, and now the Colts poached Gus Bradley. <laughs> um, so there's that. But, no, I don't think there's been any real promotions from inside the Chargers. So, I mean, that's kind of a sign that I guess you're doing something right uh, as opposed to some of the previous regimes. But, um, yeah, I, I don't really remember. Yeah, I, I don't think Ken Hunt got that uh, call up.
2: Yeah. I also think this, this, I mean, the the chargers are doing something right, I think, but I mean, they are also one of the teams that is kind of following all of the modern trends right now, like the two high shell defense, mm-hmm. you know, the Shanahan Peyton kind of hybrid hybrid offense. So, you know, there's going to be a lot of coaches who are kind of interested in how the chargers have, you know, schemed things up recently. And, and I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I'm curious to know, How they change that, you know, if they do lose Mike Wilhoit, I'm not really sure if they're going to. But I mean, Chris Shula, the linebackers coach on the Rams, um, has worked with Staley a couple of times. There's a John Carroll connection in there. Of course there is, because uh, there's a John Carroll connection everywhere, apparently. Um, But I think that would make a lot of sense. The Chargers don't, to my knowledge, have a passing game coordinator on defense so they can maybe give that to him or, or do something to steal him away as a linebackers coach but uh we'll cross that bridge when we get there i guess
4: i think uh at some point we're just gonna have that board from always sunny in philadelphia connecting like john carroll the chargers the same uh, <laughs> you know, all of the chicago and the special teams coordinator here and we're just kind of going crazy as point.
2: Yeah, absolutely. What is up, Arjun? Arjun's in the chat, so uh, <laughs> if you're not following Arjun lately, I think you're making a mistake because he's had a lot of fun with the Joe Burrow stuff, um, which is a, a good little transition to talk about uh, Super Bowl Fifty Six. Nice. So well done, Stephen. Uh, thank that you. That was really good. Thank you. Thank, uh-huh. thank you. Um, obviously, the Super Bowl happened on Sunday. I hope everyone had a, a good time. You know, eating food and watching the game. It was a good game. Uh, I want to talk really quickly because. Halftime. That halftime show, man, was just like so much fun. And you know, I've had to sit through some really bad halftime shows in my life. <laughs> so to sit there and, and be able to listen to Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg and Eminem and 50 Cent making a surprise cameo and Kendrick Lamar, man, it, it was just really cool. I wasn't like you know, I wasn't like a young kid or anything when Dr. Dre and all of them were around. That was kind of past my time. But they were always like around. Right. And they were always just so present in in hip hop and and rap and everything like that. So it was cool to have like an actual connection to, you know, what was happening in a halftime as opposed to, you know, the weekend who's newer or somebody Mm -hmm. who was performing in like the 60s when I was a child. So uh, just a lot of fun. Wanted to
3: mention the halftime show. Yeah. Sometimes, listen, there are legends of music and rock or whatever that come on. And it's really cool for people to watch Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) Uh, Listen, I like the three songs that I like, but there's just, you got to have a little bit more energy than that and play to the crowd that's there or, you know, obviously at home. And I think that was the first time where my entire family, my, my sister and I, Rebecca and I were watching the game and we were singing along with everything. And it was a really, really good show. And to be honest, the first one I can remember in a while where I said, please keep going. I was so bummed when it was over. Yeah. And I wanted to go for another 30 minutes. I couldn't have, I could have cared less about the rest of the game. It was, it was really awesome. Um, shout out to Kendrick Lamar. I didn't think he would be that good live, honestly. You, you see a lot of, you know, you hear everything on the radio then you see them performing live and it's like, eh. Everybody across the board was fantastic. And I think yeah. this is a testament to the talent that they had. So it, it was a fantastic halftime show much better than the game
4: yeah uh it was much better than the game like i'm I, we just were all messaging we we're like can they do like 30 more minutes of that <laughs> like, <laughs> that would be really fun uh that's just how i felt about the whole thing from 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 beginning to end uh just the idea of all these like guys getting together on you know from one of kind of like the most famous labels in history uh, the history music i mean that was great to see uh I just, I can't, I can't believe they allowed Snoop Dogg to Cripwalk.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're like three years removed from them uh, having like a totally crap Maroon 5 halftime show. And then they were like, we got to hire Jay-Z. And I, I think that's been a success so far. Um, but yeah, no, that was just a super fun halftime show to watch. Uh, I went crazy when Eminem did the forgot about Dre thing. I thought that was really cool uh, with Kendrick leading into that uh but yeah no i i thought it was a great halftime show all around
2: yeah when uh dr dre started doing the piano for the still dre song man like i got chills like that was so cool to watch happen in person and uh you know please like you you know jay-z is totally listening to this podcast right but like uh, i need kendrick (laughs) lamar to get his own show like I, i need a kendrick show because i think that he was just so cool and like all the choreography that they were they had going uh I thought he was he was awesome for sure and uh (laughs) I had to laugh like people the next day were like shocked that Snoop Dogg was like smoking weed like right before he went on a stage I'm like that's the most Snoop Dogg thing I've ever (laughs) heard
4: (laughs) yeah uh I I didn't understand why that was the thing uh I I just didn't understand why people were surprised that, like, Snoop Dogg was Snoop Dogg and all these guys were all these guys. Like, this is how they acted. Uh, I just, I thought it was funny that in 50 Cent, uh, when he was upside down, he just clearly <laughs> did not have it like he used to. And all the no. blood just came rushing down to his head. <laughs> I felt so bad for him. And then he, he got it, like, halfway through his burst. But it, it was a problem for a while.
2: Yeah, he was he was definitely a little winded there when he, when he hopped down from the thing. But it, it was fun, man. I, I was not su- I was. Not expecting that at all. So to have him come out uh, was really cool. Um, all right. That being said, uh, let's let's talk about the game and, and have a little Chargers flavor to it, as we always do. Um, you know, we've been talking a, a little bit today about, you know, defensive line options and, and pass rush options and th- things like that. And that really was my biggest takeaway from mm. this game is that defensive line is the equalizer of all things football. And, you know, obviously it helps to have Aaron Donald, arguably the best defensive player of our generation. But I mean, we saw strong performances from Leonard Floyd, strong performances from Von Miller, strong performances from even from like Greg Gaines and A'shaun Robinson. I mean, they sacked Joe Burrow like eight times, probably had, I don't even know, but probably had 25 pressures. Um, And the Rams defensive line has been kind of the driving force of their team. I mean, the offense has been great and it's been high scoring, but that defensive line won them the Super Bowl, it won them the NFC and, you know, this defensive line unit for the Chargers is frankly not good enough to have that kind of spotlight to have that kind of performance. And so, you know, we we've heard a little bit here and there that the defensive line is going to be the focus, but uh, for the Chargers to really take that next step, my my main takeaway from the Super Bowl is that the defensive line has to improve. And I think it starts with the pass rush. So everybody's kind of focusing in on the defensive tackle situation. But, I mean, the, the Rams don't win that Super Bowl if they don't have Vaughn Miller and Leonard Floyd and Aaron Donald and all these guys. And, you know, you look up and down the roster, and they carried six edge rushers on their roster. The Broncos mm-hmm. carried six re- edge rushers on their roster all season. And the Chargers had four. So, you know, in, in terms of fixing the defensive line, I think everybody's kind of focusing in on stopping the run. But to me, if we're talking about like Super Bowl takeaways and how it relates to the Chargers, I think you need to see some serious juice injected into the Chargers pass rush.
3: Yeah, the trust, I'm looking at their draft history right now and, and they've taken one edge rusher the last three seasons. And that was Chris Rumpf, who was clearly a three-year project. They've taken two defensive tackles, one of them that they cut, the other one being Jerry Tillery. So, Ooh. you know, <laughs> <woo-hoo>! So, <laughs> I, you know, I think that they should, really should, and we expect them to invest in the in the trenches moving forward. And just having, I mean, listen, I know it's, you know, Von Miller was never going to be available to the Chargers, I would assume. Um, and, and, you know, finding Aaron Donald is going to be impossible, but just having the rotation of just dudes, you know, you have conversations with anyone who's anything about football, it's just, you don't even have to have the superstars up there. Just have a good yep. rotation and you can't just go, you know, from what I think would could have been a, a half-decent starting group with Tillery Jones and Joseph. You can't go from that to like Banks for example, and we saw how bad that was to start the season. But they were just kind of okay with that just throwing bodies out there. And I'm glad the Fahoko for example has developed, but the idea that he him or Merrill was really going to be nose tackled too with Broughton sort of a tweener role like you can't really rely on two undrafted free agents to fill that role. They might. And I'm glad Fahoko's developed, but the idea of just going into the season with that is right. not good enough. I mean, the Rams could have deployed. They could have just had Spass and Joseph day inactive uh, during that game. And it wouldn't have really mattered. They had right. Robinson, they had Gaines. They were good to go. Now they had all three guys, which is awesome. So yeah, find those guys. And then also, you know, if you have someone like a Cortez Brown who develops, keep them. Or if you have someone like a, a Braden Fahoko who is ascending, like Greg Gaines who was a fourth round pick. I think at this point, Fajoco's second year was statistically better than Gaines' second year. I don't know if he can reach the point where he's a you know a 36-pressure, five-sack guy like Gaines is, but hopefully, hopefully they give him a chance rather than just kind of sweeping him under the rug and bringing in some other guy who doesn't deserve it. If he's developing, let him play. Let that guy play. Let him get some snaps because Broughton did that before our very eyes this year, and they cut him for banks, and I really hope they don't make that same mistake this year.
4: Yeah, I think all of my lessons from the Super Bowl, whether we're talking about the Rams or the Bengals, are more from an organizational standpoint uh, and just how the Chargers kind of operate. Um, The first kind of being uh, the elephant in the room, which is Les Snead uh, and his very loud fuck them picks uh, (laughs) t-shirt at at the Super Bowl parade, which I thought was funny. But uh, I think the thing that you kind of learn from that is not necessarily that you have to be ultra aggressive like less need was with this Rams team. But you can say, hey, I mean, we kind of view draft picks more as a currency than the only thing that we use for team building, right? And in the Tom Mm -hmm. Telesco era, have not been a lot of times where Tom Telesco's traded a draft pick uh, for a player, right? That was available or, you know, usually it's that he's selling a player for a pick, right? Kind of like the Desmond King trade uh, a couple of years ago at the deadline. Um, So, you know, I think that, not that they were going to get von miller like we said but the idea of just kind of being in that realm and you know not being i guess attached to the idea of having to keep your third round pick right and being able to spend that on something else or even your second round pick um i think that that would kind of work out for the chargers at least on a couple of instances doesn't mean you have to do it all the time uh the second thing i would say is kind of more being proactive than reactive and i think that kind of relates to the rams and and how they went after uh, odell beckham jr um and the way that i would kind of phrase that is odell beckham jr gets to the rams and then three days later robert woods uh blows out his knee right uh so you know in the kind of charger sense that i've thought about it right uh you know derwin james in that hard knock season right uh the Mm -hmm. chargers They lose him and then they are reactive, right? There's that whole scene in Hard Knocks where uh, Jalila dies, agents, and everybody else was calling Tom Telesco uh, and being like, hey, you know, we need to replace Derwin James, so can my guy have a spot, right? The Chargers, I think, in replacing guys or trying to find depth have always been reactive as opposed to proactive, um, and I think that that's something that you can also take as a lesson. From the Rams, too. Um, and the last thing I would mention from the Bengals, and this is actually something Stephen talked about in his article, I think there would be a lot of, um, you know, franchises that if they had taken a bust like John Ross four years ago, would completely stay away from the idea of taking a wide receiver in the first round again, like Cincinnati did with Jamar Chase this time. And, you know, they probably would have taken Sewell or would have taken Slater, which wouldn't have been a bad pick but they also wouldn't have been in the Super Bowl because they didn't take Jamar Chase. Um, So I think stuff like that, and, and, you know, we've talked about the number of wide receivers that Tom Telesco has taken, not a lot, uh, outside of Keenan Allen and Josh Palmer. Uh, So, you know, like that kind of thing and being able to just kind of double dip and take chances on those skill positions, regardless of how it went a couple of years ago or a couple of drafts ago, um, I think that's something that the Chargers should kind of embrace as well.
2: Yeah, you know, I think the the thing that Alex is kind of pointing at too, just you know the Chargers, I think, you know, you can talk about the different things, right? About in terms of their biggest weakness under Tom Telesco, but um, you know, they stay committed a little bit too long, I think. And you look at the Bengals and the Rams as, as teams who are willing to change things up, you know, faster and change their timeline more than teams would admit. And, you know, Tyler or Alex mentions the receivers the Bengals since they drafted Andy Dalton in 2011 that's 11 different drafts have drafted 14 different receivers so Mm -hmm. essentially they are drafting one receiver every year you're know, a half receivers a year pretty much and the Chargers since 2013 and Tom Telesco have drafted seven in nine years so it's it's a really interesting dynamic because you you look up and down the Chargers roster and and you see that they kind of rely on like their star player or players to kind of carry a unit. Whereas mm-hmm. you look at the Rams and the Bengals and they are play they are teams who you know continue to roll the dice and continue to take to take shots at positions even though they don't necessarily. Need a receiver, they will still take one. So I would assume that the Bengals take another receiver this year uh in the draft because that's just kind of their mo. And you know, of course, you know we can give them a lot of shit for how their offensive line panned out, and rightfully so. I mean, they Joe Burrow was sacked like seventy three times or whatever this year. But like Alex said, you know, I, I was a firm believer in the Sewell side of that argument. I think it's much easier to find top-tier tackles in the top of the draft than it is receivers. Um, but they don't play in that Super Bowl without Jamar Chase. They don't play in the Super Bowl without that belief of continuing to double and triple down you know, at the receiver position. But, uh, you know, obviously if they had a better right guard situation, they probably win the Super Bowl. So I think there are lessons to take from both sides. But, you know, there there is definitely a lack of investing in premium positions from Tom Telesco that has really stood out the more you look at these mm-hmm. teams who are in the Super Bowl I mean the 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 Buccaneers for example they have JPP they have Jack Barrett and mm-hmm. their first round pick this year was Joe yeah. Tryon was another mm-hmm. edge rusher you know same thing with the Saints who were, we're trying to be like the Saints supposedly you know they lose Trey Hendrickson and they replace Trey Hendrickson with a first round pick in Peyton Turner mm-hmm. whereas the Chargers it's like you know Tyler mentioned the most recent edge rusher is Chris Rumpf in the fifth round, and before that, it was Chenna and Wilson in the second round four years ago.
3: Yeah, no, the, the Chargers, Tom Zalesko, and the way they've approached it is if they're gambling and they see that the you know they're, they're doing roulette or whatever you can pick between red and black, and the thing goes red, and so they go, Okay, let's put all our money on red, and then they lose because it's black, and they go, Well, let's put all our money on black, and then they lose. They keep just going like all in on whatever they need at the time rather than getting ahead of it. And then, yeah, like you said, with the, with the pass rusher rotation, the Bills, who are the best example of the best edge three they possibly could have, you know, the Chargers, they're two edge rushers behind Bosa and Mosa had 16 pressures. I think Russo or the, or the guys behind the, the two starters that they had, had, you know, 40-something pressures or whatever it was. I mean, did they and really need led to... the
2: league in run stops.
3: Yeah, and then what'd they do again? They took Basham later in the draft, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. right? And they just continued to invest. And guess who had the number one defense in the NFL last season? That was the Bills. Didn't look like it against the Chiefs, but that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah, so the, the, the best the best teams, or at least have the strongest positions, are the ones who continually invest and they continue to try to find these guys. I mean, shit. Tom Telesco should have learned the first draft that he had. They didn't really need Keenan Allen at the time. They didn't yeah. need him, and they but they took him because he was a good player. And yes, was it? Did they really need a wide receiver at that time? Because they could have maybe used a guard or a tackle to protect Rivers at that point. Sure but they went with receiver and here we are with with him being, you know, arguably the the best receiver in franchise history, the Packers every year take one or two linemen in the draft and sign one Dennis Kelly, who we want as their starting right tackle. was like their offensive tackle five, you know, on their (laughs) roster, but they added him because they keep, you know, addressing that position. You know, I'm not saying it's a great idea, but the Broncos keep addressing corner or defensive back. They keep going and get those guys. And that's a great position group for them, you know, and listen, you know, the chargers, they have, the, but they, they can do that. They can't upgrade these spots clearly with the offensive line. They went, okay, we need that. Here's the pieces, put it together. We can do it. So we know they can do that. It's just, can they do that and continue to do that proactively rather than just like, Oh shit. We, you know, let's go put all our money on black now because it was black. Oh, let's put it on red now. Cause now it's red, you know, let's get ahead of it. That's not how gambling works. Please don't do that. <laughs> um, but you know, Like like everyone's saying, like we all have talked about, just be proactive, continue to invest in these positions, particularly ones where you need a rotation. Because if you go down their list, there really wasn't a position group where they were three deep at anything. Corner, you know, two solid corners, I think. The third corner, massive drop-off. Two great safeties, massive drop-off after that. Sort of two good defensive tackles, massive drop-off after that. You just can't have that. We can't go from great players to undrafted free agents there has to be some sort of middle um for some reason they only they decided to go three deep at running back quarterback (laughs) um fullback yeah tight end like let's let's focus on like some more important positions like defensive tackle edge rusher and corner
4: yeah and i mean we've also talked about we talked about drafting wide receivers right and what the bengals have done drafting 14 of them in god knows how many years like, it's also about keeping enough wide receivers, too, because really the way that the Chargers played it this year, like Tyler was talking about with roster, they had four receivers really the whole year. And then one guy that was a designated special teamer whether that was K.J. Yeah. Hill um, at the beginning of the year and then later uh, Andre Roberts. Right. So that is, I think, something to talk about where it's like, OK, well, I mean, I, I, I would rather have five defensive ends and, you know, five right. uh, six wide receivers and, you know, four tight ends and a fullback you know, and for running backs. Right. Um, so that I think is a uh, it's part of the problem uh, when you talk about just kind of the roster construction. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely think you kind of want those positions um, particularly wide receiver and edge uh, in both the offense and defense that give you a little bit more of that juice, um, you know, whenever you need it uh, in the defensive or offensive games and, you uh, You know, right now the Chargers just kind of didn't have that. They weren't able to be as explosive as they wanted to be because, you know, they were kind of carrying some of these lumbering guys that are running back or some of these other positions. So uh, I I think that's something to definitely look at going forward. Uh, I don't know if they actually will change their philosophy on roster construction. That remains to be seen. But uh, I think you look at these uh, two teams and they went all out on the skill positions, all out on the premium defensive positions, particularly we're talking about the Rams. Um, and it paid off
2: yeah you know you, the, the Rams like everybody kind of talks about the Rams star acquisition but to me like the way that they continually invest you know mid to late round graphics in players to support their stars really is kind of what stood out to me when kind of researching that article that I did for LAFB because I mean you go down the list and like You know, so they draft Michael Brockers, who was a really, really good defensive tackle in 2012. Then in 2014, they draft Aaron Donald, the chargers and several other teams would have been like, shit, we don't need defensive tackles. We're good. We got two studs like, but it was like every other year, you know, there's a Greg Gaines here. There's a Sebastian Joseph day here. There's a John Franklin Myers here. And it's like, they don't look at Aaron Donald as an excuse to, you know, have him cover up warts at that position they look at that position and say, no, like we need to help Aaron Donald out. And it's the same thing with Jalen Ramsey, you know, where they've invested picks into John Johnson, they've signed Troy Hill. They've drafted Terrell Burgess, Taylor Rapp, Jordan Fuller. They've signed Eric Weddle twice. I know Eric Weddle's is a sore subject, but like, you know what I mean? Like they continually to support their stars as opposed to treating their stars as players who can cover up warts at the position and say, okay, we don't need a really good third receiver because we have Jalen Guyton because you know, Keenan Allen is so great. Mike Williams is so good at wide receiver too, or we don't need other tight ends. So we're going to draft two tight ends in nine years because we have Antonio Gates or Hunter Henry. So that to me really like, to me, the problem with the chargers is not star acquisition because they have stars. I would put the top 10 of their roster up against anybody in the league. The problem is the way that they support those stars. And that to me is kind of like the key takeaway from the Rams roster building is that, they will continually invest resources into a vet to supporting their star players as letting those star players carry units by themselves. I will say, I
3: think Alex, go for it.
4: Oh, no, I was just going to say, and I think we're all guilty of this sometimes too, but where we just kind of go, Oh, well, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are here. So, you know, there's no need to spend the first round pick on a receiver. Right. And I sort of do agree with that philosophy. Right. I mean, I would prefer the Chargers draft a corner I would much prefer they draft an edge player or something like that. Uh, but, I mean, the Bengals were like, well, we have Higgins and Boyd and all these guys, but we're still going to take Chase, right? Um, and I think no matter, like, how stacked you are at a position, you can always kind of go more uh, into that if there is kind of, like, a true best player available that uh, would, would fit uh, your position, even if you already do have guys there.
3: Totally forgot what I was going to say.
2: <laughs> Well, I mean, that's that's there's a lot of negativity, of course, associated with this kind of conversation. But, you know, I I do believe that the Chargers process as a whole was much better last year than it was previously. I mean, you take the tackle, you take the corner, you take the receiver in the first three rounds. And, you know, I'm not necessarily saying that you need to do the same thing this year, but you're investing premium picks in premium positions. And I think that is hopefully something That can continue. The question now that I have for the three of us to discuss is how, if at all, did watching the Super Bowl kind of change the way that you are looking at this offseason? Because, you know, we just talked about, you know, the depth problems and the Chargers do have a ton of cap space. They have 11 draft picks to kind of solve those situations. So Alex, I'll start with you. Did the Super Bowl, watching the Super Bowl change the way that you are approaching this offseason at all?
4: Yeah, it made me want von Miller really bad um, <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, no but I mean I think you talked about the
4: Super Bowl and how it you know changes the approach to the offseason I don't know if it really like changes it but I think it makes me feel more flexible with things in terms of what the chargers are able to do um, in free agency and and sort of we, we've sort of created this list of well they should keep this guy they shouldn't keep this guy but um, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to kind of build the team and whether that involves letting Mike Williams walk or signing Mike Williams, for example, there's kind of ways to build uh, teams on that, you know, regardless of which way you choose. Um, as we kind of saw with the Rams, right, they did lose Robert Woods and still were able to kind of sustain a Super Bowl run and what otherwise kind of might have been a deadly position for them. Uh, so uh, that, that's sort of the kind of thing that I think about. Uh, I don't know if there's something that instantly changes my philosophy because ultimately the Chargers still do need a corner, probably still do need an edge player uh, in those first three rounds uh, that we do talk about, uh, as well as potentially an offensive lineman, uh, an offensive tackle. So nothing really changed my mind on what the Chargers are going to do uh, in free agency in the draft. But I I do think the Super Bowl and and specifically what the Bengals and Rams were able to do uh, with kind of methods that were panned by a lot of people, but ended up kind of working out, uh, such as the selection of Jamar Chase or, you know, trading or the Rams really trading their entire farm away. Uh, I I think stuff like that and unconventional methods is kind of something that the Chargers could try more of, even if it's not to that extent.
3: Yeah, I don't know if it changes the way I'd approach the offseason. I just think if Telesco is going to pick between one of the two options, between how the Rams did it versus how the Bengals did it, I would assume he does it more like how the Bengals did it, where just everything is sure. up front. You add everything up front. Trade for guys if you have to. Spend all at the beginning of the season. And if you get all of your depth covered then with your 11 picks as well, uh, great. You know, Get that all done at the beginning of the season. Spend all the money that you need to. Move, shift, whatever you got to do. So I think that's kind of the approach. It didn't really change for me. I just think that, you know, I think Telesco would be comfortable. Again, I wish he would would have made that deal at the deadline. I think everyone wishes he had made some sort of deal at the deadline, particularly for a right tackle or edge rusher. But I think he could be take you take the Bengals approach, where it's just we get all of our guys up front and roll the dice and let's see how the rest of the season goes.
2: Uh, Tyler, is Alex frozen to you?
3: Yeah, unless he's really stunned by my comment.
2: (laughs) Oh, there he is. Now he's back. Okay. Um. Yeah, I, I, I think the change for me is that I kind of twofold because of the Super Bowl and because of what I've been watching on tape is that I, I kind of want to advocate for them taking a, a receiver in the top fifty with one of their picks. Like I think that to me is a really interesting change. Of course, everybody knows I'm I'm the trench guy and and everything, but I, I think you look at this. Receiver class in particular, if you can get one of these guys in the second round, I think that really could kind of elevate your offense and make things easier for Justin Herbert, and then you kind of, you know, support him that way. So, you know, I'm not super into the idea of drafting an offensive lineman early, I, I think, you know, the best way there is probably to handle that in free agency. I'm not super into drafting a defensive tackle early because I think it's just not a premium position that way. Um, so I'm kind of like leaning towards them using the second round pick on a receiver. You know, there's a lot of really good ones that I like, which we'll get into on Sunday. So I don't want to spoil it. Um, but you know, that's kind of the, the biggest change for me is that both of these teams, you know, at least had the intention of having three like legitimate options at receiver Whereas the Chargers have always been like, oh, like here's Jalen Guyton, who is an undrafted free agent, but he's really fast. Here's Josh Palmer. You know, we're gonna string him along, and and he had a good season down the stretch. But you know, I think adding another weapon into that room, I think, could really help elevate this offense and and kind of give it a, a a nice little bit of juice. I'm not into Wondell Robinson. Spoiler for Sunday's for Sunday show. <laughs> uh, just gonna get that out there. He is my lowest graded receiver right now out of 13. Uh, so DVC SD, I'm really sorry about that. Uh, but yeah, just wanted to point that out right now.
4: Follow the Rams philosophy, except for when they picked Tutu Atwell last year.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't pick Tutu Atwell. That was, that was weird. Like they, they picked him to be their punt returner specialist guy. And then they used somebody else after like three weeks into the training camp. And we never saw from him again. could have had Creed Humphrey.
3: I'm just saying. Yeah. As far as the receivers go, I, I do think I want them to find, yeah, like you said, pick someone in the first, or excuse me, in the, in the second round. I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think there are guys there. I want to say there were also guys there when they were picking in the second round last year. I don't recall exactly who was there, but I'm sure there was somebody that we liked. But this year really feels like a draft where you can get a second-round grade guy, maybe a fringe first-round grade guy in that second round at the 17th pick in that round. I'm all for it. I think they need to find somebody who can succeed with the dumbest offensive coordinator? I don't care if you think that's Joe Lombardi <laughs> or when Joe Lombardi leaves, whoever they bring in. Let's say they bring in Mike McCoy back. I don't know. They're not. But I want someone who's basically scheme, you know, non-scheme reliant, somebody that can obviously it helps if you scheme guys open, but someone that can just I'm obviously a trail on Brooks fan, and he's not gonna be there in the second round, but somebody I think that you can just get the behind, you know, the ball in the hands of and they just go and they, they don't need to be schemed open. Someone that can just help out this offense, someone that can help out Herbert. So yeah, if there's someone there in the second round, we'll talk about who those guys are, or potentially could be. I'm for it. And you know we in our mock drafts have always taken or tried to take a receiver at some point, maybe not in the second or, or third round, um, but typically on day three or something. Like last year, I think we all took Anthony Schwartz in our last mock. Just tr- keep adding to this group. If it's, if it's not a second round guy, just find somebody else keep building keep building keep building and then please if you can roster management open up for one more receiver spot because i think you just can't get away with how they did it last season
2: no i don't think they can do that either and just for references sake in between asante samuel jr and josh palmer uh went rondell moore uh okay. dwayne eskridge from western michigan tutu Atwell, obviously uh terrace marshall uh uh-huh. um and then Palmer. So there were four receivers taken in between Asante and Josh Palmer. (laughs) Keel. So, but I I mean, like in terms of the draft, just kind of forecasting, like, you know, it seems like the first round is going to be really defensive heavy. So, I mean, we don't know about the quarterback situation. It seems like everybody kind of hates this class and that might force some of the defensive prospects up higher on the board. And so, like, if you're sitting there at 17 and Garrett Wilson is staring you in the face or Jamison Williams is staring you in the face or Traylon Burks, like, as opposed to that or taking Jordan Davis or taking, you know, the sixth edge rusher or the fifth corner or whatever, I think that's something to consider for sure.
3: No, I completely agree, especially with the, yeah.
4: I was just going to say, Tyler, like three minutes ago, said Mike McCoy is Chargers offensive coordinator, and I vomited in my mouth and completely zoned out <laughs> the last three minutes because the idea of Doug Peterson getting Mike McCoy promoted to Chargers so offensive weird. coordinator oh, made me want to die.
3: I'm fairly confident the toast has been burnt. The milk toast <laughs> will no longer return
2: yeah we're seeing a lot of these coaches like come back out of retirement and stuff like that it's weird like why why would you want mike mccoy around trevor lawrence i i, I don't really know and there's no connection <laughs> to doug peterson so um very interesting so um all right guys any other takeaways here from the super bowl as it pertains to the chargers process why are, why are raiders fans in here right now
3: uh do you get live streaming in jail what is, is that new <laughs> <laughs> your rehab to become a chargers fan <laughs>
2: um alex any uh final thoughts from the super bowl uh
4: no no final thoughts on the super bowl just that uh hope the chargers are playing there next year uh good and maybe we can get uh more fans there than the rams had at their parade today uh that that would be a fun goal uh but yeah no I, I think we talked about the super bowl in depth what the chargers need to do in the off season and we'll talk about that uh all off season in the next three months so
3: yeah. Can't wait to talk about these prospects. Um, You know, Eric Weddle, congratulations on your Super Bowl. You really got us back. I think us Chargers fans really just just feel it in our hearts.
2: It's it's such a weird situation for me as as a Utah and a Chargers guy. I just like I was trying to explain to my dad and my brothers like why Chargers fans are, are super salty about the whole situation. And it was it was weird. It was like I was stuck in the middle between uh, a rock and a hard place. But Um, shout out to uh Matt Gay, Matt Gay. Uh, you deserve it, Eric Whittle. Not so sure. (laughs) The the, the full circle on this podcast is
4: actually Matt Gay winning the Super Bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Gay not only winning the Super Bowl, but ending the career of Tom Brady is really full circle.
2: It really is, it really is full circle with Matt Gay, former Buccaneer and uh, former Utah legend. So, um, like we said on Sunday, we are going to do our first draft ranking video, it's going to be the receivers uh can't wait to you know dive into that it's gonna be really interesting i think this class has a lot of different flavors specifically Mm -hmm. at that position the three of us each have a different wide receiver one so it's gonna be a lot of fun discourse after that we'll dive into some other positions uh but really wanted to kind of kick this off with a bang if you will uh and talk about the wide receivers so i'm really excited about that Alex has been crushing it with some free agency reviews with Kaiser white and about Joseph recently. So check those out. Uh, Tyler and I have been doing some interviews. Uh, Tyler just did one with a prospect today. Like I mentioned, I did one with Brentley Weissman today as well. So check those out. If you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel, please go and do that. Uh, leave us a rating or review. We really appreciate that. So uh, that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in and we'll see you next time.
5: MyPatriotSupply.com